0: What's up everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week we got new music from AFI, A Mice and Men, You, Me at Six, a radio rundown, and a deep dive on the rise and fall of drugs. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the app store. And tune in this Saturday. As always, you can listen to the songs mentioned during this episode on the Note to Scene Spotify playlist. And if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at note to scene gmail.com. All right, so AFI returned with two new songs last week titled Twisted Tongues and Escape from Los Angeles. The songs come ahead of their yet to be announced new album that is due out in 2021. To be honest, I've been pretty disappointed with pretty much the entire second half of AFI's career when it comes to new music, and these songs follow much of what we saw on their 2017 record. I think a little of it has to do with the production, even the big moments feel a little subdued, like the chorus in Twisted Tongues. If you just press play in the middle of it, you'd assume there was a huge buildup that exploded into the expansiveness of the hook, but it really just follows the same trajectory the entire song. Part of what made some of their earlier albums so good was the way they were able to build up tension and let it explode into hooks that were really meant for stadiums. As they've aged, it's felt like they've lost that edge and ability to execute those big moments. But if they weren't making songs with big moments, that'd be fine. But both of these songs, and quite a few on their last album, offer the potential for that old-school AFI magic, but for one reason or another, they just fall short. That being said, their last album still managed to sell surprisingly well first week. They did around 25,000 total units, so the Despair faction is still out there, and they're gonna support this band through thick and thin. So it is cool to see a small section of the scene willing to stand by a band after all these years. In other new music news, Of Mice and Men return with a new song called Obsolete. With it, they also announced their signing to Sharptone Records, which makes this the band's first release of their career not on rise. The song is really just solid metalcore. Aaron Pauly has done a great job steering the band into a direction that works for them, and they've fallen into a groove where they can just pump out these Danny Wimmer Festival metalcore bangers. I'm not ecstatic about the sound. There's nothing overtly special about it. If you listen to Of Mice and Men or really any standard modern metalcore over the last 15 years, you've definitely already heard this, but at the same time, if you liked any of their last two albums, you'll absolutely enjoy this song. The band is going to be releasing a new EP called Timeless on February 26th. I got the chance to listen to it a few times last week, and again, if you like this song, you're going to like the rest of the EP. It might just be the artwork aesthetic or the straight-to-the-point metalcore approach, but it kind of makes me think of what Aaron Polly's take would be on of Mice and Men's Deluxe bonus tracks they released on The Flood. It just has similar vibes to me. But that'll be out at the end of next month, and in the meantime, again, if you dig solid modern metalcore, go give this a spin. And even more new music news, a band that I will never not forget about, You Me At Six, released their new album, Suck A Punch. I really wish I would have mentioned them during the 10 Biggest Scene Bands episode this year, because they are huge in the UK maybe even the second biggest scene band there besides Bring Me the Horizon. Their 2014 album, Cavalier Youth, debuted at number one on the UK's equivalent chart to the top 200, and for context, that is the only album they've ever had chart on the top 200 over here in the States, and it peaked at 124. Their last album did around a 1,000 copies here first week in 2018. But this new one is currently forecasted to be their second number one album in the UK. And what's even more impressive is they're going up against the new Zayn album. For those who don't know, Zayn used to be in One Direction, caused a bunch of drama for leaving and going solo before they all ended up going on hiatus and going solo. But now that they're all out on their own, he is the second most successful member of the original group behind Harry Styles. So the point is, you Me at Six is a mainstream band in the UK, even though they probably won't even sell a thousand copies here in the States. Sound-wise, we all remember them as a neon band that went rock for one album, and then we never really heard from them again but they've evolved into this, like, warped, Imagine Dragons experimental rock band, and they're actually writing some pretty dynamic songs. The album is filled with these guitar-based bangers that are covered in modern industrial pop production. One of the singles, Beautiful Way, builds this perfect tension setting and unloads into a massive hook where vocalist John Franceschi shines in a way I've never really seen him do before. I was so unexpectedly surprised by this album and absolutely recommend it. The fact that You Me at Six is inside the top 15 biggest bands in the scene in 2021 might actually be even more of a shock than all-time low potentially being on their way to a breakout hit. I love it. But speaking of all-time low, this week on our ATL tracker update, they continue their rise up the top 40 chart, jumping from 28 to 26 and increasing over 15% in plays. Again, another really encouraging week and crucial in the song's overall rise. It might not seem like much now, but these all add up, and in a few months we'll have a top 10 hit on our hands. Over at Alternative Radio, Monsters is down 5% in plays, but it's still at number three, which is another great sign of its staying power. IDK Howe unfortunately dropped from number one to number four and are down 15% in plays, but they do officially have a number one alt radio song on their resume now, and that's a great sign moving forward. Back over at top 40, MGK and Black Bear break even at 17, but they're still up over 5% in plays, so we'll take it. Over at Rock Radio, I Prevail break even at number 5, but still down over 2% in plays, so expect that one to just keep falling at this point. Asking Alexandria come in at number 10 this week, up over 6% in plays. Bring Me the Horizon jumped from 17 to 15, and they're up over 15% in plays with Teardrop. so that's a great sign there. I think a top 10 bet is safe at this point for them. And finally, Architects make another jump from 21 to 18, increasing nearly 25% in plays. We're witnessing Architect's biggest collective moment as a band leading up to this new album, and everything is pointing to only getting bigger right now. I cannot wait to see what else 2021 has in store for them. Okay, on to this week's deep dive on drugs. This episode has been a long time coming. I've touched on various parts of this story during many other episodes, and a lot of you have reached out saying you wanted the full episode on it. I've never shied away from my critique of Craig Owens. I won't name names, but a little while after I started at Alt Press and began speaking with some higher-ups on the scene side of the industry, one person told me, and I quote, "'Austin Carlyle is a sociopath, "'and Craig Owens is a snake in the grass.'" I was never close friends with Craig, but we had each other's numbers for a while and would randomly talk. It was shortly after this that Chiodo's guitarist Pat McManaman blacked out Chiodo's Facebook page and put up an old demo song from their devil writing sessions and at the ass crack of dawn that morning Craig texted me saying he wanted to do an interview with me for alt press I remember waking up and just laughing at how much he wanted to control the narrative of everything, because he literally said in that interview I did with him he had no idea Pat was going to post the song, and the fact that it stayed up was proof to me that Craig didn't even have access to the Chiotos page. He even told me he reached out to Pat that morning, and Pat never responded to him. But anyways, to understand the beginning of drugs, we have to go back to Craig's final moments with Chiotos. By 2009, Chiotos was officially the biggest band in the scene. They had just re-released Bone Palace Ballet, Equal Vision pushed Lexington as a single and it was actually getting played on rock radio, and the band opened for Linkin Park on an arena tour. There are videos of their set at their hometown Date of Warp Tour 2009, and there are points when you can't even hear the band over the people screaming. It was an insane time, but it all came to an end on September 24th, 2009, when Chiodos announced on their MySpace page that they had kicked Craig out of the band. Their statement read, To all of our friends, family, and fans, we would like to let you know that we have let Craig Owens go as the singer of Chiodos. This decision was a necessary one. Out of respect for all of the hard work that we have put in together for all of these years, we will not be discussing the specific reasons that this needed to happen. We wish Craig well. We will absolutely be continuing on as a band and we will keep you informed as this next chapter unfolds. Chiodo's fans are the best fans in the world and all we can ask of you, after everything you have already given us, is to share in our excitement for this next album. We promise you will not be disappointed. Brad, Jason, Pat, and Matt. That announcement sent shockwaves. The biggest band in the scene just kicked their poster boy vocalist out. What the fuck? And nobody remembers, but we went months without any news on the future of Chiodos at that point. But if you want to hear what came next for them, you can go back and listen to the Chiodos deep dive episode I did on them late last year. But so after Craig was out, he began turning the wheels behind the scenes for his next move. And to be honest, and this is pure speculation on my part, but I think he had been working on a new main project to focus on outside of Chiodos, I just don't think he expected them to kick him out. So I think he was a bit blindsided in that regard, but I do believe he already had the wheels turning on a music priority outside of Chiodos before he was fired. But to understand the origins of drugs, we have to go back into 2009 for a bit. So at the very end of February in 2009, during an off day at Soundwave in Australia, Craig Owens and John Feldman met. There's a cool article I was able to dig up that All Press did in 2012, after Chiodos got back together with Craig, called "Thermicare," the Orphan Chiodos song. That really helped in tying together this 2009 and 2010 timeline. But so they met in early 2009, and after they came back to the States from Soundwave, Craig and Chiodos manager Dave Taylor met up with Feldman to discuss working together on what was supposed to be the third Chiodos album. John, Craig, and Bradley Bell had a few writing sessions together in California, and that's when Thermacare was written and the infamous demo was recorded. We'll get to that moment a little later on, But at the beginning of November 2009, just a little over a month after he was fired from Chiodos, Craig began publicly teasing something with Pete Wentz. This is a very crucial time in the story of drugs. They had multiple back and forths on social media from November 10th through December 3rd. Craig started things with saying, send a thank you tweet to at Pete Wentz for being such a positive force in my life and being there for me. And everyone, get ready for the future. Then on November 27th, Craig tweeted, staying with one of my closest friends, John Feldman, for the next few days, starting to write the best record of all time. This is when they officially began laying the groundwork for what would become the Drugs album. Also on November 27th, Pete posted a pic on his Tumblr and said, hard to make out in the picture, but yeah, just went to a music store and bought my own bass because I don't have any instruments in New York and I got to get some shiz down fast. Def goofy to buy your own signature model on Black Friday. I blame all of this on Craig Owens. Then Craig replied, hmm, I wonder what Pete was referring to in that last tweet of his. You guys got any ideas? And then three days later, Craig tweeted again saying, Vocal booth again, haven't screamed in a long time, feels so good. This new stuff has such heavy parts. Can't wait for you all to hear it. They went back and forth a few more times over the next few days leading up to the cinematic sunrise shows at Chain Reaction and The Troubadour on December 3rd and 4th in 2009, which Pete Wentz played bass at. These shows became slightly infamous in scene lore just because of the seemingly random crossover at the time. The YouTube videos get surfaced every once in a while, and people will ask how the hell it all happened. It was definitely an interesting time looking back, but one thing I gotta bring up from their Chain Reaction show is how, for their encore, they played You Told Me You Loved Me, turned it into a metalcore song, and brought Pete out to do dual screams with Craig. I went back and watched it last night, and listened to what one of the guitarists says before they go into the final breakdown. There is one comment talking about what he said, one. The rest are pretty much all just shitting on Pete for how awful his scream sounded. Imagine if a band bro got on stage and said this now. He'd be trending on Twitter by the next morning, if not earlier, and have to make a full-fledged apology, rightfully so, and probably get kicked out of his pan. The shit scene bros got away with back in the day, man. I mean, like, he's gotta realize most of that audience was underage girls, right? And he said that to them? These bros got away with literally everything. Anyways. After this, the wheels for drugs really began turning behind the scenes. For some reason, the member rollout and full reveal for the band was not preserved very well online. It was really difficult to even find links to try out in the archive machines, but I was able to dig back up an interview Craig did with Alt Press in June of 2010, where I was able to confirm that at that point, Only Nick Martin from Underminded and Aaron Stern from Matchbook Romance were in the band with Craig, and they hadn't even revealed the name Destroy Rebuild until God Shows yet. But it was public info that Pete Wentz had signed them to his label, Decadence, which was owned by Warner, so that made them a major label band, as well as that he had signed them on to the powerhouse Crush Management. Crush had been the longtime home of Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco, Weezer, and others even to this day. So, shortly after this, the rest of the lineup was announced, which included Matt Good of From First to Last and Adam Russell from Story of the Year. On August 17th, Craig tweeted out the name of the band revealing it as Drugs or as we all know it, Destroy Rebuild Until God Shows. Then we had a minute of radio silence, and then, on November 9th, we got a teaser video with the title, This is Destroy Rebuild Until God Shows Part 1. It was a little over two minutes, and showed a man appearing to be losing his mind from voices in his head, and as he's running from something that he can't see, The camera reveals members of the band on the street, almost guiding him to his eventual doom, which is where we see his soul literally get sucked out of him, and the camera pans to Craig and we get a 15 second teaser of the first drugs music ever. We know now it was, if you think this song is about you, it probably is, but at the time, all we knew was that something more was coming two days later. This teaser and the ones that came after it were something else, man. It felt like they were gonna release a movie. They were produced so well and the horror element just added to the anticipation. Then on November 11th, 2010, the first drug single, If You Think This Song Is About You, It Probably Is, was released. It didn't have a video yet, so it was just the audio stream, but it didn't need a visual element to it. The song spoke for itself. It had Feldman and Matt Good written all over it, from the driving, in-your-face production quality and tension-building verses to the pitch-perfect hook explosion and just excellent use of electronics in the second verse. To me, this is the best song of Craig Owen's career. It was a blatant diss to his former bandmates in Chiodos. I remember literally getting chills the first time I heard, So friends, you left me hanging in a room with a noose in a chair. You told me to stay put and reminded me why I was there. But of course, in true Craig fashion, he couldn't even call out his old buddies without comparing them to a whore. Seriously, how many breakdowns did he unnecessarily scream that in? He ain't even talking about an ex-girlfriend here, and he still does it twice in this song. Nonetheless, despite his perplexing, reoccurring animosity towards women, sonically, this is the best song of his career, and holy shit, what a launch to this band. After two more movie-like teasers, they dropped the video for If You Think at the beginning of December, and again, nobody questioned it back then, but there is no way this thing would fly today. Craig Owens grabbing a naked woman by the throat while he's on top of her, screaming whore into her face. Again, the shit band bros got away with back then versus what flies nowadays is literally night and day. But, so... Right before they dropped the video in December, they played their first live shows at a small venue over the course of two nights in Michigan. Of course, the first song they played was their version of Thermacare, The Only Thing You Talk About. Like most Craig songs, it's actually about one of his exes, but it was a complete dig and a power move over Chiodos. So, the story behind Thermacare is that, like I mentioned earlier, Craig and Bradley wrote and recorded the infamous demo with John Feldman during the first half of 2009. Here's what that sounded like. After Chiodos fired Craig, there was a lot of legalities involved with the split. One of the issues at hand was who actually owned Thermicare. Rights to the track were eventually split 50-50 between the band and Craig. Chiodos retained the rights to the music, and Craig owned the publishing to the lyrics and the melody. So he took it and created The Only Thing You Talk About with John Feldman, and Chiodos created Stratovolcano Mouth with Brandon Ballmer. And apparently Ballmer refused to listen to the demo of the song because he didn't want Craig's take to influence his version of it. So that's the story of Thermacare, but damn, imagine a world where Chiodos got their shit together with Craig and released their third album with him with a fully produced version of it as the lead single. It would have been such a huge moment, because if we're being honest, all Drugs did was give us a cool one-off album and killed Chiodos. There was never any way Craig could go back to Chiotos and revitalize it in a way that would catch the band back up with the guard of the scene at that time, which was A Day to Remember, Sleeping with Sirens, Asking Alexandria, etc. Illuminati was just too much of a stumble and the Chiotos name lost most of its momentum, but I'm getting off track here. So the first drug single is out, Their first shows are in the books, and then they released their second single, which was Mr. Owl Ate My Metal Worm, another song centered around a huge hook that almost leans into ballad territory but in it we actually see a genuinely self-aware side of Craig Owens that we usually don't get, where he says, I'm so used to being a coward, it's all I've ever been. I quit before I win. In mid-January of 2011, the third single, Sex Life, came out. I've always found the melody in this one a little annoying, so I was disappointed when they decided to give it the full single push and music video treatment after the album came out. And nobody remembers this, but Craig created a bunch of controversy around the song when he released a fake sex tape ahead of the track. I didn't spend too much time digging for it, but apparently it was an actual full-on explicit video of him simulating sex with adult film actress Raven Alexis, and then he had the nerve to play part of sex life at the end of it. Then, once the song came out, he released this long blog post admitting that he started the rumor about the tape himself, and then he was the one who leaked it. It must have been super long because I was able to dig up posts about it from Alt Press and NME, but neither of them posted the full statement in their articles. They just linked out to it. Let me read part of Enemy's article. They added some much-deserved snark to it at the time. They wrote, Former Chiodos frontman Craig Owens has admitted he was the one behind the internet gossip about a sex tape featuring him and porn actress Raven Alexis. Owens revealed he started the rumor, that it was a full-blown explicit video, and leaked it himself. Owens, who is now fronting Michigan band Drugs, posted a lengthy blog on his website in which he detailed his reasons for leaking the tape. Despite saying that in the blog that he tries to, quote, leave lyrics completely open for you to personally interpret them, Owens said that the lyrics, quote, if you had a sex life, would you even worry about mine from his new song Sex Life meant so much to him that he quote, really wanted to figure out a way to truly illustrate their meaning. So to illustrate it, he released a video in which he simulated sex with the actress before playing the band's new song at the end. Owens went on to claim that he was making the point that people should not quote, get caught up in the unimportant garbage and not be distracted from the music. He added, quote, you could say that exactly what we did here was take away the focus from the music. He was also keen to point out that Alexis was, quote, a friend of a friend and was a great asset in helping to bring this idea to life. He also said she was a, quote, true professional, and that relations between them never went past what you see in the pictures slash video. Like, Could you imagine, for example, Ollie Sykes' sex tape leaking right now, and it turns out he leaked it himself, and it was all a plan to promote a new song? I, I really would like to have been in the room when Craig was like, You know what would be really artistic? Let's make a fake sex tape with me and fake leak it before we release this new song. That'd be so deep. Also, completely on another page, one thing I completely forgot about but was reminded by from this NME article was at that point, just a month before the album was coming out, the band was still planning on calling it Abigail Will Be Born With Four Friendly Eyes, which tied into the album's artwork and loose underlying storyline. But anyways, after Sex Life, they released one more single, My Swagger Has a First Name, which is probably my third favorite drug song. I love how it's such a straightforward post-hardcore track, but through the lens of something that could absolutely get rock radio play. But after this, the Soul Destroy Rebuild Until God Shows album was released on February 22nd, 2011 through Pete Wentz's major label subsidiary, Decadence. It ended up selling around 14,000 copies first week and debuted at number 29 on the top 200. It outsold Chiodos Illuminatio by a little over 2,000 units, but still both were a big step down from the 30,000 plus first week of Bone Palace Ballet. But so right after this is where things in Craig's storyline turn to the mainstream gossip blogs. So way back in 2006, Pete Wentz started dating Ashley Simpson. Two years later, in April of 2008, their engagement was confirmed, and in May of 2008, they got married. In November of 2008, Ashley gave birth to their son, Bronx. A little over two years later, on February 8th, 2011, two weeks away from the release of the drugs album, Ashley filed for divorce from Pete. According to sources close to the couple, Pete was the one who didn't want the divorce, but Ashley went through with it, asking for joint custody and primary physical custody of Bronx, and they went back and forth for a while over custody rights, but so she filed for divorce, two weeks later the drugs album comes out, and then roughly three weeks after the album dropped, The mainstream gossip blogs went wild with Ashley Simpson's new man who was none other than Craig Owens. What I want you to do right now is Google Craig Owens, Ashley Simpson and you will find pages of these posts and photos. Us Weekly ran the big quote of Pete's reaction. According to a source close to Pete, they got the following quote. Pete did a lot for this guy. Craig was in another band and got kicked out. Pete found Craig, built a band around him, and signed him. He's shocked at how this guy is repaying him. So, when it became public towards the end of 2011 that Drugs was no longer on Pete's label, everything started to make sense. This moment made Craig the only non-breakout scene star to make it onto Hollywood gossip blogs, outside of Ronnie Radke, simply because he used to constantly be mistaken for Miley Cyrus's brother, Trace. But, outside of the inner drama, Drugs headlined a short UK tour in March, and then co-headlined the AP tour that spring with Black Veil Brides, alongside support from Versa Emerge, Icy Stars, and Conditions. They spent the summer of 2011 playing on Warp Tour, they were definitely one of the bands to see that year, but there was something about their whole vibe post-album release that didn't feel as big as it should be. They released a live Hot Topic exclusive EP that summer of songs off the album. In August, Craig posted a message saying he and Matt were in the studio working on new material. He spent most of that fall continuing to give updates on those new songs. And then the band went on tour with Hollywood Undead, Asking Alexandria, and We Came as Romans. In January of 2012, the band announced that Adam Russell from Story of the Year had left. After that announcement, they headed out on a North American headliner with support from Hit the Lights, like Moss the Flames, and Sparks the Rescue. It was a House of Blues-sized tour, and despite at one point being a major label band and managed through Crush, this was really the biggest drugs ever got, which is wild when you think about how much firepower was behind the band on paper going into their first album. But then, a few months later in April, Chiodos posted a super cheesy video teasing that Craig was going back in the band. The next day, the rest of Drugs, Matt Good, Nick Martin, and Aaron Stern, announced that they had left the band. Here's their statement. To our loyal fans and friends, after much thought and consideration, we, Matt Good, Nick Martin, and Aaron Stern, have decided to announce that we will be moving on from Drugs. This decision has not been an easy one to make and we want to express how grateful we are for all of you who have supported us and made this incredible experience all it has been over the past couple of years. We'll always look back on this time and this band with pride and have no regrets about the music we've made or the people we've made it with. We want to thank everyone who has believed in us, and we hope you'll keep believing in us. We look forward to the future, and we know we'll be seeing you again soon, no matter where our paths lead next. With love and gratitude, Matt, Nick, and Aaron. Following this, it was confirmed that Craig had abandoned ship and rejoined his original crew, who were also on a vessel that was taking on water. After months of radio silence, Matt Good tweeted that the original Drugs lineup, minus Craig, would be reuniting under a new name for a new album. The reason why they couldn't continue under the Drugs name is because each member had to sign a contract when they joined that said they couldn't be a band without Craig. In 2013, after Craig was fully back with Chiodos, he was asked in an interview if he still kept in touch with any of the other guys from drugs, and he acted like he barely knew them and he wasn't even really friends with some of them. He said, Not very recently. We don't really keep in touch. It was kind of a put together thing in the first place, and we weren't really friends before it started. I was friends with a couple of the guys, and a couple of them I didn't even know. So it is what it is, and I've been kind of saying I was away at a really nice hotel and now I'm back home. Sometimes I dig up stuff like this and put it all together in a dive, and I just have to laugh. But after this, the Chiotos reunion was a complete shit show and we went through years of people wanting a drugs reunion. We did not get a true reunion last year, but what we did get in 2020 was Craig releasing a song under the drugs name called King I Am, which sounded like a drugs song without John Felman and Matt Good. I just talked about all of this on the 2020 recap episode a few weeks ago, so I won't get too deep here, but basically, we ran a piece on the website titled What the Hell Happened to Craig Owens, he commented a few public things, and then a week or so later he released King I Am and premiered it on Forbes through one of our old AP coworkers who indirectly asked him about the piece and the negativity around him recently, to which he gave a picture-perfect Craig Owens response. Throughout the rest of last year, Craig teased a new Drugs album, touring with a full band lineup. I mean, at this point, I feel like they'd be lucky to even get a House of Blues tour booked even after the pandemic is over. So I expect Craig to market it as some exclusive intimate shows, like with a fully DIY angle or something like that, just so he can try to spin an angle on it. Most bands will pull this when they come back and they can't play the same size venues they did when they were first around. I could see him dropping another standalone song at some point this year, but I don't think he'll drop the album until he knows he can make some money off of the shows. But that's it, people. The story of the rise and fall of drugs. I mean, the scene supergroup that could have been massive, but, well, you know what happened now. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Note to Scene. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at scene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.